Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. We are starting a brand new series where we're going to take a look for the next four weeks about the highs and the lows of one of the prominent characters in the Old Testament, one of our prophets named Elijah. Today, we're, if, you're, if you're like, you bring your Bible or turn it on or whatever, we're going to land in 1 Kings 19, but I'm going to start in 17 because that's where Elijah's story starts. And I'm going to, today's really important to just kind of give you context to understand everything that's going on in his life. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, he just does something really simple. He just obeys God. Like sometimes that's the answer for whatever we're going through. Whatever you feel like God's led you to do, whatever God's word directs you to do, he just obeys God. Now God is is bringing a difficult time upon the land of Israel, and it's going to go through a drought for three years. And, And he sends Elijah to like up on the hill by this brook, you know, like a little creek there, the brook Cherith. And then the birds, the ravens bring him food. So it's supernatural. You know, a raven ain't sharing nothing, right? And so eventually that little creek dries up, and then God sends him to a village called Zarephath. And he says, I want you to go to a widow, and she's going to take care of you. Okay, now, if you are a well-abled, adult, Jewish man, and God's asking you to go to a widow woman because she's going to take care of you, that's a lot. And in 1 Kings 17, and I could preach a whole message just here on these two points. I just want to kind of hit them quickly. But there's a lot of lessons in 1 Kings 17 that, number one, there's this lesson of obedience. God is testing his obedience. If you're going to become the spokesperson for God, if you're going to lead Israel out of this time of moral decay and sin that we're in, I got to know that you'll obey. And so God is testing his obedience. Go to the brook. And he went to the brook. Go to the widow. And he went to the widow. Secondly, he's testing his humility. Go let this woman, I know you're a man, but go let this woman who's a widow take care of you. He had to just swallow a lot of his Jewish pride, if you will. First Kings 17 is where I want to start. And this is the widow woman speaking. She said, I swear by the Lord, I ain't lying to you. I'm not just trying to put you off. I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I'm just gathering up sticks so I can cook this last meal. And my plan is that my son and I are going to eat it. We're going to die. So just take a knife, jab me in the back with it, right? This is a huge step of faith for Elijah. To step up to a woman that's a widow and has just enough flour to make one more small loaf of bread Okay, God, you better show up and show out. And this is a deep place of humility because men are fixers, okay? I mean, like if that's me, I'm like, oh, girl, you know, just here, I can't take your food. Here, let me get that stick for you. I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to take care of you. Let me go get you some help, right? But before Elijah could become one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, he needs to prove that he's obedient. He'll go where God says go. And he's humble enough to do what God says to do. Chapter 18 is a massive victory for God. Like, 
And I, I really try not to say this too much because the next thing you know, every Sunday I can get up here and say this is my favorite verse or this is my favorite story. I really try not to overuse this, but I genuinely do love the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. First of all, God has an amazing sense of humor. Some of this is funny. Some of this is tense. Some of this is awesome. This really is one of my favorite stories found in the Bible, okay? And you hear this throughout the Old Testament, specifically in Joshua and early on in the King stories. It doesn't necessarily pertain to this story, but it's true. And, and you'll hear this from time to time that there grew up a generation that did not know the Lord. Well, that would ex- describe the generation that Elijah the prophet was living in. See, there was a young man who had been made king. His name was Ahab, and he was the king of Israel. And so at one point, Israel was, was one nation under King David and King Solomon, but then Solomon's son, it, it split. And so now you have the old King Israel, but you have the southern tribes, which are the, the nation of Judah. And so Israel's no longer one united nation, it's two. And so Israel, typically in their story, they were more wicked. Typically, they had a lot of bad kings. They were the nation to the north. Judah was wicked. They had issues, but they also had some good kings. They, By and large, they had a little bit better leadership in the south. Israel, the nation in the north, where Elijah is at, they had been through seven kings in 36 years. It's not elections. It's not like the United States where for four years we vote on who's going to lead us. It, it was you know, handed down from son to generation. In in 36 years, they've been through seven kings. Put that in American perspective. In 36 years, we've been through six presidents. We haven't even been through the transition that they have been through. And so in ancient history, kingdom rule was just generational, generational, generational. That's a lot of instability. That's a lot of transition. So you have this young King Ahab, who's king of Israel in the north, in the south, you have a guy named King Asa, A-S-A, that's his name. And the Bible describes him as a strong man of integrity, and he reigned and ruled for 41 years. Like he outlasted all the other seven kings up north. And so Judah had a good king. They had stability. They, they were just not as wicked. They had issues. Don't let me paint this story as perfect, but they just were a stronger nation in this time. King Ahab, wicked king in the north, he marries a foreign woman. She's a Phoenician woman, what we would call modern-day Lebanon, okay? And her name was Jezebel, right? Like, oh, that Jezebel, that evil woman. That's where this refers back to, this Jezebel spirit is this woman. And so here's what's important about Jezebel, right? I want to hit pause and I want to back up 600 years. And just, you don't need to go there. I'm just going to put it up on the screen for you. Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's nation-building. He's giving them laws. Hey, if you want to live successful, you want to be a strong nation, you want to be a godly nation, you want to be a mighty nation, let me give you a principle that you're going to say is unfair, but let me give it to you. It's found in Exodus 34. Don't make any treaty of any kind with people living in the land. Otherwise, you're going to lust after what they have. You're going to lust after their gods. You're going to offer their gods sacrifices. They will invite you to join their sacrificial meals, and you've got people that will go with them. Then you'll accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods as wives for your sons. And then they're going to have babies. And those wives are now mamas raising up your children or your grandchildren. And they're going to teach them about those other gods. And they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshiping other gods. 
was a clear warning that God gave through Moses to the nation of Israel. Listen, be careful what influences you allow in your life. Today, in 2021, our culture today can't handle this. Our culture today would call this racist, would call this judgmental. But what God is saying is there's a principle, and it even carries into the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 6.14 talks about don't be unequally yoked. Like, just make sure you're running with people that believe like you believe and, and work like you work and live like you live and worship like you live. That's just key to success. If you're always struggling and fighting and, and pulling, you're just going to wrestle all the time. So there's this idea if you allow those influences into your life, they're going to drag you down. The adults, sure, they may be mature enough. They maybe can handle it. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to worship your God but it's the next generation that's watching. Well, Dad, you didn't stand up against that. You didn't say anything about, like, Dad, you didn't. So I'm assuming it must be okay. It's the children and the grandchildren that aren't mature enough to handle it. So you have Jezebel from Lebanon. She don't even know the God of the Jews. Matter of fact, most likely she despises the God of the Jews. Because remember that St. Moses and then Joshua? They came in and, and they kicked everybody out of the land that God had promised. And that used to be her land. That used to be her family. And so there's just this hatred and this animosity between the Phoenicians and between the Hittites and all these people that live there because God came through and cleared all that out for the people so she can't even stand the God of the Jews. She serves a God named Baal, who was the God of the underworld. Sounds a lot like Lucifer to me. And in just like Exodus 34, that God clearly warned Moses. This is what Ahab does. Jezebel seduces Ahab to sacrifice to other gods, and your wives get them to commit adultery to other gods by worshiping them. That's exactly what happens. So here's the problem. Ahab is the king of Israel. He marries an outside woman, which God said don't do. And now she has seduced him to worship Baal, the god of the underworld. And they make it a national law that everybody must worship Baal. They spend government money building temples to Baal. No longer can you worship Jehovah. No longer can you worship Yahweh. Everyone must worship Baal. In 1 Kings chapter 18, God uses a humble and obedient prophet by the name of Elijah to confront this sin of leadership. And just to make sure that everybody's watching and just to make sure that everybody's listening, he doesn't let it rain for three years. So you have this powder keg of people that are looking for answers, okay? And Elijah steps up on the scene in a very heavy, in a very tense, in a very dire situation. Let me add to that. A lot of people blamed Elijah for the drought. Your fault, your fault. 1 Kings 18, when Elijah shows up to speak to King Ahab, like, calling him out, you know what I'm saying? Wish I could have whistled that better. It had a lot more impact, right? And Ahab went out to meet Elijah, verse 17, and when Ahab saw him, the king saw him, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Like, this is your fault. You're the one that's caused the drought. You're the one that's caused it to stop raining. And this sets up what becomes... The contest at Mount Carmel. I love this one. Verse 18, Elijah says, <laughs> it ain't me. I have not made trouble for Israel. 
you and your family and that Jezebel, that woman you married, you're the troublemakers. You have refused to obey the commands of the Lord. You've worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now, I'm calling you out. How big over are you? You summons all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. They're on the government payroll. You bring them all out here because we're going to have a showdown in Mount Carmel. You have one humble, obedient prophet of God versus 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. Here's the deal. Here's a little competition. It's not like a duel where you take 10 steps and turn around and shoot at each other. Here's the deal. They each took an animal of sacrifice. They took a bull, and they put that bull on the altar that there were no lighters allowed. You know what I'm saying? Don't be sneaking none of them lighters in here. No matches, nothing. And whichever God will supernaturally bring fire and burn up the sacrifice, that God wins. That is the one true God. And Elijah sits back and he says, I tell you what, I'll be a gentleman. You boys go first. And so they get their bull up there and they get him on the altar and they start crying out to Baal. And, you know, and Elijah, I love this. He's heckling him very humbly, right? But he's heckling them. He's like, oh, you need to holler louder. Your God might be meditating. I don't think he can hear you. I can't hear you. You need to holler louder. They cut themselves. Bible says that there was blood gushing everywhere. They're desperate. Maybe he's on vacation. Mama, what's vacation? I'm sorry, I had to throw that in there, right? I, one of the translations says, he says this, I bet your God's off relieving himself. You better holler louder, right? So midday pass, nothing. Like all morning, cutting themselves and they're screaming and making a fool, right? Afternoon comes, nothing. Finally, it comes time for the evening sacrifice. And I'm going to put this in terms that those of us that live in Oklahoma and speak Okie can say and understand what Elijah said. Hey, y'all, watch this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you get, it doesn't say that in the Bible. But like, he's like, all right, you've had your day. It's my turn. So Elijah then takes 12 stones and he rebuilds the altar that was there. And there's 12 stones to represent each tribe of Israel. And then he said, matter of fact, I got a shovel and he dug a trench all the way around that altar. So now there's a little ditch all the way around it. And it says that he took four large jars and he filled them with water and he soaked it down, soaked the wood, soaked the bull. He did that three times. There is so much water that the, the sacrifice was soaked, the wood was soaked, and there was water in the ditch all the way around the altar, even in the trench. Verse 36, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he said, hey, y'all watched it. No, that's not in there, right? And he prayed, oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Oh Lord. I mean, I can almost hear a little, please answer me, you know? Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you've brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it even licked up the water in the trench. Boom, God wins. Thanks for coming to church today. That's all I got to say. That's awesome. Man, you read that. You just want to go, who's your daddy now? You know? 
And it goes on that Elijah had all the priests and all of, of Baal and Asher had them all killed. That 850 people, they all died. Ahab was there that day. Jezebel wasn't. And when Jezebel finally hears word of what happened, she is ticked off. Those were her people. Those were her employees. They were on government payroll. It leads us right through 1 Kings 19. And we're just going to camp here. We're just going to be in 1 Kings 19 for the next four weeks. Verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way he had killed the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I've not killed you just as you killed me. Okay, crazy cat lady, whatever, right? First of all, my God won, right? Your God did not, so whoever you're swearing by is not even a thing, right? Here's the problem. Elijah is exhausted. He's poured out. He's spent. Has this massive, massive victory. But I want to get real for just a moment. Let's put ourselves in his shoes. I, I get it that he had faith God was going to show up and show out. But I'm just talking about in my life. I'm talking about Elijah's life. I'm not talking about your life, but in my life, sometimes it feels like, that's why we don't walk by feelings, sometimes it feels like God has a bad habit of only doing what he wants when he wants to. Because he's God and he can do that. I mean, it's his earth. He made it. Elijah's totally a man of God. I don't mean to discredit him in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And I don't, I don't mean to put words in his mouth. I believe that Elijah probably handled that a thousand percent correct. But if this story is about me, this is probably how it read. This is the BKV version. I don't mean to superimpose myself into scripture, but I just, I'm just trying to put his shoes on. It says, and then Brent prayed a silent prayer. Oh, God, you better show up or I'm a dead man. I've done put all this water. Matter of fact, I probably would have tricked him and put lighter fluid instead of water, you know. Oh, God, I sure hope this works. And sometimes that's how it feels, doesn't it? Don't judge me. If you're there that day too, you're praying and you're believing and you're trying to be a strong person of faith, but you also have your lucky socks on. You know what I'm saying? You also got your fingers crossed behind your back. Oh, God, please let this work. You're doing everything you know to do, hoping God will show up. God won. Elijah's on the winning team. Let's be real. Right up until, right up until that moment where fire went, and the water got licked out of the trenches, and it burned up the sacrifice. You weren't exactly sure how that was going to work. Let's be real, there's stress. I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend, I'm just, if that's me, that's a stressful moment. And in my life, stress over a long period of time wears on my emotions, it makes me tired, it makes me heavy, it makes me sad, I feel it in my eyelids. So let's back up to Elijah. There rose up a generation that knew not the Lord, even though that doesn't say it about his generation, that statement can be made of Elijah's generation. Israel had become more and more immoral. Fewer and fewer people were faithful. Fewer and fewer people served God. Fewer and fewer people went to church. Very few people abided by Jewish spiritual law and principles. Now you have a young king 
He's the seventh king in 37 years, 36 years. There's no stability. He marries an outsider. And you have a national rule, a national policy that everyone walks away from Jehovah. Now you serve Baal, and that's the national religion. And you have a generation that was happy to do so. On top of that, you have three years of rain, which equaled three years of bad economy, which equaled to people starving, people dying, and people suffering. By the way, the king thinks it's your fault. The king thinks you've been telling on him. Like you come home from work one day and painted on your door, it says, snitches get stitches. Like you know people out to get you. For three years, circumstances are heavy. For three years, be right back. Elijah is holding a rock, just the rock of stress. You know what I'm saying? And he's just carrying this around backpack, like sometimes under his arm or whatever. For three years, there's just this extra weight on his life. Okay, and then you have this showdown at the OK Mount Carmel. You know, you got your fingers crossed and God, I hope you show up and show out. Or did I dream this up? Was it the matzo balls I had for dinner last night? You know, and you win. We win. God wins. Woo! And the next day, look at what that just did to me. And the next day, the queen puts a bounty on your head. And it's just enough to push you off the edge. You take any one of those things. Take the three years of drought. Take the fact that the queen wants you dead. Take the stress of the traumatic event of what happened on Mount Carmel. You take any one of those things. By themselves, they are a heavy rock. But when you pile them one on another, on another, on another, they become very heavy. Any one of them by yourselves, you probably got enough to manage. But when you start stacking all of these things on this rock, it gets real heavy, and it's enough to push Elijah just over the ledge. He can't take it anymore, and Elijah hits rock bottom, and that's what takes place in 1 Kings chapter 19. And he retreats, he runs. You run, I'd run. First Kings 19 is the story of Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of the Bible, goes through a massive season of depression. And it kind of feels the same. Not that we've been in a drought, but we've been in a pandemic. Now it's affected, it's impacted its third school year. Economy's okay, but boy, it sure feels unstable. America has been on a downward moral tailspin since the early 2000s. And we ourselves have been through traumatic events, even with crossed fingers and our lucky socks, we say, God, I hope this works out. And I want to take the next few weeks to examine Elijah's life, his cycle of depression, and the cultural pressure that was around him, the stress he was carrying, the rocks he was carrying, and how God led him through that. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. So 1 Kings 19, verse 3. You guys with me? Say amen. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. Remember, queen's got a bounty on his head. And he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. So he leaves Israel. He goes to the neighboring nation and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, sat down under a solitary broom tree, prayed that he might die. That's where he's at. He sat down under a tree and prayed that he might die. God, I'm done. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors who've already died. Let me just go be with my grandma. 
And he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. Where is that angel? Amen. I need that in my house. Letting me nap, waking me up. Oh, here's fresh bread. Oh, my heavens. Is this heaven? Is this? I'm a little distracted. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. Verse 7, Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for the journey ahead of you will be too much. So he got up and he ate and he drank food that he gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. This series, matter of fact, is called Coming Out of the encourage you to read all of 1 Kings 19. We're going to spend a lot of time there over the next three to four weeks. I want to also suggest a book to you I'm currently reading. It's called Out of the Cave by Chris Hodges. And he talks about his personal season of depression that he went through. And he talks about the life of Elijah. And it's been an incredible read so far. Every one of us in here, our lives are have been impacted by depression, anxiety. Maybe you, maybe you're the one that has struggled with it. Maybe you are. Today, you're, you're struggling with it. Maybe you're married to someone who has, or you have a friend or someone in your life, and they look to you to kind of help them through that. Depression and anxiety, they're not new. I just read a scripture out of ancient history of one of God's holiest, godliest men, and he struggles with anxiety and depression to the point, God, I'd rather just be dead. Moses, under some very difficult circumstances, he says, God, kill them or kill me. That's a dark place. Maybe today, this season of life, maybe that's you. I want to give you hope. I want God's word to give you hope. I want to let scripture encourage you. I pray just the presence of the Holy Spirit in this room gives you just enough faith to put one foot in front of the other so you can face tomorrow. And get you back here the next week because this is what's going to happen. Some of you, you need this, but everything is going to come at you in the next three weeks. And I would just encourage you, let this be a priority because God wants to use this to speak life and hope to you. Amen? Let me give you some real thoughts just quickly. Number one, I want you to know that I'm, you're not alone. I'm not alone. You're not alone. If a godly, faithful man like Elijah, who was used for the showdown in Mount Carmel, can come to a place in his mind and in his thinking, God, I'm better off dead. God, I just want to run from my problems. Lord, just come get me. If he struggles with depression, then I'm not alone. But the enemy tells you you are. The enemy tells you you're the only one. I'll prove it to you. Just get on Facebook. Just thumb through those pictures. Their lives are so happy. Oh my goodness, another vacation. Oh, they're on the beach. You're digging for kitty litter, right? Oh. Their lives are so happy. You're just broken. You're the only one. Why can't you be happy like that? You're the only one. And that is a lie pushes us into isolation, many times is the absolute worst place for us to be. And we're going to talk about isolation in the coming weeks. 
One of Elijah's biggest mistakes was isolation. Verse 3, he went to Beersheba. He left his servant there. He went on alone. Alone is easy prey for the enemy. Alone is easy prey for our thoughts to go south. And I believe God sent me here today, and I want you to know that you are not alone. You're not. You do not have to go through this season alone. So there's some good news, bad news in the statistics, right? Mostly bad news, but the good news is I'm, I'm not alone. Depression and anxiety have become the world's number one health problem. It takes more lives on an annual basis than cancer does. It's the number one leading cause of disability. One out of nine people are currently on some type of depression treatment medication. One out of five people have been on some type of medication at some time. Over the last decades or so, antidepressant medication has gone up 300% in its usage. You're not alone. Research always also given us good news. What they are defining is, is we actually may have a little more control over our depression than what we first thought. Matter of fact, in many situations, not all, but in many situations, our daily choices lead, they play a huge role into our mental health. No matter where you come from, your background, your socioeconomic status, how you were raised, we all have been exposed to, we all have a tendency to struggle with. I'm telling you, the numbers don't lie. All of our lives have been impacted by depression and anxiety. I am not alone. Proud dad moment. My son Landon, he's here today from OSU. You can see that glory of orange on him. This is what he wants to do with his life. He's going to school to be a psychologist to help people who struggle with mental health issues. Proud of I'm not alone. You're not alone. Number two, I want you to know my choices do matter. I put in parentheses on your handout next to that self-care. Just what I choose to do, it really does matter. Some of our daily decisions really do help us come out of the cave. This past weekend, Gary and I, we missed you greatly. We had the chance to go to Hot Springs, Arkansas. It was not cold. It was hot. I didn't realize how tired I was. We left on Thursday after she got off work, and you can't even hardly get to Hot Springs from here, too. I mean, it was crazy. And at one point, I'm, I'm not from there, and a little two-lane highway, and I'm just I'm driving down this road, and I've got like five or six cars piled up behind me, and I'm just, I know I'm frustrating him because I don't want to hit a deer, and you're out in the middle of the country. And so when we would get to a passing zone, I would slow down and scoot over a little bit. That's what we do in rural Rogers County. When you're slowing somebody up, you just kind of slow down and pull over, and the car goes around you, and everybody's happy. The guy behind me just had his headlights. That's irritating. I'm in Arkansas. I'm about to have some road rage. And so we're just driving, and I've got four or five cars piled up behind me, and we get to a real flat straightaway, and there's a passing zone and a shoulder. It's the only place in Arkansas I saw that I had a shoulder. And so I slow down, and I scoot over. Guy flips his police lights on and pulls me over. nicest highway patrolman I've ever met in my life. It was crazy. How y'all doing? <laughs> like, well, I'm good. I was just trying to let you around. 
Y'all been drinking? No, I'm not drinking. I'm a preacher from Sand Springs. You know, license registration. I said, dude, seriously, I thought you was mad at me. I said, you had your headlights right in my... And I said, I'm not from here. Obviously, I got Oklahoma tag. And I said, man, we hit this straightaway. And I just pulled over to let you around. He goes, oh, I thought y'all was drunk or something. I'm just seeing what's going on. He came back. Y'all have a fun. What you going to Hot Springs for? You going to the racetrack? No. I don't even know what I'm going to do in Hot Springs. I'm just not home. I'm just, I'm just done. Thank you. I thought he was going like, to give me a police escort the rest of the way. He was so nice. So I get my license, put it up. I kind of sat there for a minute thinking he was going to go ahead and go around me. He don't. Here we go. 45 miles an hour. And I'm like, I ain't pulling over this time. Last time he got me pulled over. And Thursday night, we're, we're driving and doing all that, and we get about 30, 40 minutes. I have to get far enough away that my body will decompress, and I just kind of, and Jerry's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm just, I'm just decompressing, you know? I didn't realize how tired I was. We were there all day Friday, Saturday, and all day Sunday. I did watch it, by the way, and then we drove home on Monday. Let me tell you, on Friday and Saturday, what I did, I did exactly what Elijah did where it said in 1 Kings 19.5, it said he laid down and slept. I took two naps on Friday. I just didn't realize how tired I was. It says then he got up and ate, and then took another nap. That, that's what I did for two days. I ate, slept, and ate, and slept again. Our bodies, we get in go mode, right? And that's all we know to do, and the adrenaline just keeps us going, but you can wear out your adrenal glands just by going, going, going. And then we stop, we stop hard. When it's finally okay and time to relax, my body just goes, I'll see you in three days. That's me. I don't know how, some of you guys can go on vacation and play, 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 play. I was just exhausted. Another great book for you to consider reading for some of us that live in those jobs that require a lot by Andy Stanley. It's called Choosing to Cheat, and it's not talking about marriage infidelity. It's talking about you either cheat your family or you cheat your job, make a choice and choose wisely. It's a great book. It's, it's probably 20 years old. It's an incredible book. And in that book, he has this idea of this rock right here. And we ask our bodies to carry a rock with our busy schedules. We ask our families to carry a rock. Hey, daddy's got to go to a thing, and so I'm just going to have you hold this rock. And so you just vision this picture of, you know, your kids walking you out to the car by the mailbox, and you just hear, here, Landon, I want you to just hold this rock. I'll be back in a little bit. I got to go. Company needs me. I got to go. The thing needs me. And, and so... This rock, when you first pick it up, and this rock probably weighs, I don't know, 10 pounds or so, and for the first 30 seconds, a minute or so, it's fine. I got, Daddy, I got you. I got you. I got you. I'll be right here with this rock when you get back. And watch the car drive off. And we're asking our families to hold a big, heavy rock. I'm just going to tell you, just go with me. In 10 minutes, this rock is going to start to feel a whole lot heavier than it does right now. If you don't believe me, meet me after service. I'll gladly let you hold it. We get there and our muscles kind of get tired and so we start shifting the weight around. You know, we're doing all these different things and our families do that. They shift everything around to compensate for our go mode. And so sometimes we just need to drop the rock. Sometimes we have things in our life that are so heavy. Elijah had been carrying a rock or two. And for two minutes, you're good. For five minutes, you're good. But by the time you get to 10 minutes or two days... That seven pounds starts to feel like 70 pounds. He had been through the weight of a drought. That's a rock. He felt like it was his fault. He'd been through the weight of immorality, of just slipping around him. People were choosing to worship Baal instead of God. 
the weight of feeling like I'm the only one, the weight of, man, I hope God shows up in this moment because it could get crazy if he don't. Elijah was carrying a rock and we're carrying the weight of COVID. What if my kid gets it? We're carrying the weight of arguing about vaccines or not vaccines or masks or not masks. We're carrying the weight of what's going to happen to the economy. We're carrying the weight of going to McDonald's and it takes 20 minutes to get a cheeseburger. I'm very calm. Took a lot of naps last weekend. We're carrying the weight of do I go to church or not? Do I go out in public or not? Since February of 2020, we have been carrying a rock. And it's not seven pounds anymore. It's 170 pounds. And sometimes we need to just drop the rock. Set it down gently and make some changes. On Sunday, Jerry and I were talking. Like, this is how the conversation goes. Like, oh, man, I wish we could just stay here. We love our life. We love our home. We love our kids, dogs. Eh. But we love you. We love what God has us doing. But, I mean, it was just this same feeling Elijah had. I wish I could just escape. I wish I could just stay here. And so, okay, let's unpack that. What are you dreading going back to? Why is this heavy? Like, you should want to be home. Home should be a safe place. We should want to be in our space. What rocks do we need to drop? What things are heavy that we need to set them down and cut them out? And some of you today, you need permission. Set it down. Maybe don't drop it, because you might drop it on your toes, and that's a whole other thing, but maybe you just need to set it down and then leave it. Rest. The best part of the story is in his darkest place, God met him there. God showed up in the victory. God showed up in Mount Carmel. But even in that cave, even under that lonely broom tree where he is suicidal, God met him there. God sees you. God sees you hearing all those rocks. And he sent a messenger to Elijah. And he fed him and he told him to rest. God sees you. Psalms, over and over and over again, David talks about his struggles with depression and pressure and God, my world is heavy. My enemies surround me. Psalm 6.4 is a, you don't have to get very far into the Psalms so you run into one. Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. I'm worn out from sobbing. I'll be honest with you, I don't have a lot more tears left to cry. Last 48 hours have been pretty tough. Lord, I'm just, I'm exhausted all night. I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all of my enemies. And then he turns, the Lord, you've heard my plea. I know you're going to answer my prayer. God saw Elijah in his despair. And God met him in that moment. You are not alone. And God sees you. Even in those dark places, He will meet you. Here to the living God, fall flesh on your face. There may be some of us in here that are in the same place as Elijah, sitting under a solitary broom tree. We've barely got here today, and Lord, we're carrying rocks and rocks, and pockets are full of rocks. It feels heavy. And I pray that the Holy Spirit be the same as that angel. God, we know you see us. I pray that Holy Spirit would, would send a messenger of hope and fill our hearts with faith. 
Lord, some of us need to set some rocks. Give us permission. Lord, free our souls so that we might be able to slow down in our own life just to hear your voice. Drop this. Holy Spirit, heal. Holy Spirit, heal. Would you please be the great comforter and healer? Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. Today you know you're not in right relationship with God. Maybe you were at one time, but you walked away. And you've just put the separation between you and God. Or maybe you never have. Maybe mama made you come to church today. Church ain't your thing, but you're here. And you know in your belly that you and God are not in right relationship. And while we're here in this moment, before I release you, I want to give you an opportunity to be made right with God. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle or talk to anyone. I just simply want to lead you in a prayer. Here's the gospel, plain, pure, and simple. We've all made mistakes. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that is death. There's an eternal death, but there's a death in this life. And eternity has to do with heaven and hell. And it all goes back to what did you do with a moment like this? When Jesus was knocking on your heart's door, did you say yes to him? And if you're here today and you need to come home, I'm just going to have you confess and believe. The best way I know how to do that is just by leading you in a prayer. But you have to take that step. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle. I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you're ready, just take this step of faith with me. Just pray this prayer. Say right there at your seat. Say, dear Heavenly Father, come to me. Because I need you. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. And I don't want that anymore. Would you come into my life? Begin to change me. Make me a new person. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? I may not understand all of this, but I'm taking a step of faith. I surrender my whole life to you. Never head bowed, never eye closed. Nobody looking around. You're here today and you prayed that prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you, but would you just slip up your hand real high? Real high. Come on, get them up so I can see. Anybody else so I can pray for you? Spirit of the living God, we want to reach hundreds with the message of the gospel because I know the message of the gospel is practical and can even help us in our caves and help us in our dark days. God, I pray today that you give us strength to face the struggles and the challenges ahead. Even in mourning, may we be a people of hope and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. You glad you came to church today? I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.